Section 8 of State of the Union Addresses by United States Presidents, 1909-1912. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. President William H. Taft, December 5, 1911. Part 2b. New Japanese Treaty. The Treaty of Commerce and Navigation between the United States and Japan, signed in 1894, would, by a strict interpretation of its provisions, have terminated on July 17, 1912. Japan's general treaties with the other powers, however, terminated in 1911, and the Japanese government expressed an earnest desire to conduct the negotiations for a new treaty with the United States simultaneously with its negotiations with the other powers. There were a number of important questions involved in the treaty, including the immigration of laborers, revision of the customs tariff, and the right of Americans to hold real estate in Japan. The United States consented to waive all technicalities and to enter at once upon negotiations for a new treaty on the understanding that there should be a continuance throughout the life of the treaty of the same effective measures for the restriction of immigration of laborers to American territory, which had been in operation with entire satisfaction to both governments since 1908. The Japanese government accepted this basis of negotiation, and a new treaty was quickly concluded, resulting in a highly satisfactory settlement of the other questions referred to. A satisfactory adjustment has also been effected of the questions growing out of the annexation of Korea by Japan. The recent visit of Admiral Count Togo to the United States as the nation's guest, afforded a welcome opportunity to demonstrate the friendly feeling so happily existing between the two countries. Siam. There has been a change of sovereigns in Siam, and the American minister at Bangkok was accredited in a special capacity to represent the United States at the coronation ceremony of the new king. Europe and the Near East. In Europe and the Near East, during the past 12 months, there has been at times considerable political unrest. The Moroccan question, which for some months was the cause of great anxiety, happily appears to have reached a stage at which it need no longer be regarded with concern. The Ottoman Empire was occupied for a period by strife in Albania, and is now at war with Italy. In Greece and the Balkan countries, the disquieting potentialities of this situation have been more or less felt. Persia has been the scene of a long internal struggle. These conditions have been the cause of uneasiness in European diplomacy, but thus far without direct political concern to the United States. In the war which unhappily exists between Italy and Turkey, this government has no direct political interest, 
and I took occasion at the suitable time to issue a proclamation of neutrality in that conflict. At the same time, all necessary steps have been taken to safeguard the personal interests of American citizens and organizations insofar as affected by the war. Commerce with the Near East In spite of the attendant economic uncertainties and detriments to commerce, the United States has gained markedly in its commercial standing with certain of the nations of the Near East. Turkey, especially, is beginning to come into closer relations with the United States through the new interest of American manufacturers and exporters in the possibilities of those regions, and it is hoped that foundations are being laid for a large and mutually beneficial exchange of commodities between the two countries. This new interest of Turkey in American goods is indicated by the fact that a party of prominent merchants from a large city in Turkey recently visited the United States to study conditions of manufacturer and export here and to get into personal touch with American merchants with a view to cooperating more intelligently in opening up the markets of Turkey and the adjacent countries to our manufacturers. Another indication of this new interest of America in the commerce of the Near East is the recent visit of a large party of American merchants and manufacturers to Central and Eastern Europe, where they were entertained by prominent officials and organizations of the large cities, and new bonds of friendship and understanding were established which cannot but lead to closer and greater commercial interchange. Coronation of King George V The 22nd of June of the present year marked the coronation of His Britannic Majesty King George V. In honor of this auspicious occasion, I sent a special embassy to London. The courteous and cordial welcome extended to this government's representatives by His Majesty and the people of Great Britain has further emphasized the strong bonds of friendship happily existing between the two nations. Settlement of long-standing differences with Great Britain As the result of a determined effort on the part of both Great Britain and the United States to settle all of their outstanding differences, a number of treaties have been entered into between the two countries in recent years, by which nearly all of the unsettled questions between them of any importance have either been adjusted by agreement or arrangements made for their settlement by arbitration. A number of the unsettled questions referred to consist of pecuniary claims presented by each country against the other, and in order that as many of these claims as possible should be settled by arbitration, a special agreement for that purpose was entered into between the two governments on the 18th day of August 1910, in accordance with Article 11 of the General Arbitration Treaty with Great Britain of April 4, 1908. Pursuant to the provisions of this special agreement, a schedule of claims has already been agreed upon, 
and the special agreement, together with this schedule, received the approval of the Senate when submitted to it for that purpose at the last session of Congress. Negotiations between the two governments for the preparation of an additional schedule of claims are already well advanced, and it is my intention to submit such schedule as soon as it is agreed upon to the Senate for its approval, in order that the arbitration proceedings may be undertaken at an early date. In this connection, the attention of Congress is particularly called to the necessity for an appropriation to cover the expense incurred in submitting these claims to arbitration. Presentation to Germany of Replica of von Steuben Statue In pursuance of the Act of Congress approved June 23, 1910, the Secretary of State and the Joint Committee on the Library entered into a contract with the sculptor Albert Jagers for the execution of a bronze replica of the statue of General von Steuben erected in Washington. For presentation to His Majesty the German Emperor and the German nation, in recognition of the gift of the statue of Frederick the Great made by the Emperor to the people of the United States. The presentation was made on September 2nd last by representatives whom I commissioned as the special mission of this government for the purpose. The German Emperor has conveyed to me by telegraph on his own behalf and that of the German people, an expression of appreciative thanks for this action of Congress. Russia. By direction of the State Department, our ambassador to Russia has recently been having a series of conferences with the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Russia, with a view to securing a clearer understanding and construction of the Treaty of 1832 between Russia and the United States, and the modification of any existing Russian regulations which may be found to interfere in any way with the full recognition of the rights of American citizens under this treaty. I believe that the government of Russia is addressing itself seriously to the need of changing the present practice under the treaty and that sufficient progress has been made to warrant the continuance of these conferences in the hope that there may soon be removed any justification of the complaints of treaty violation now prevalent in this country. I expect that immediately after the Christmas recess, I shall be able to make a further communication to Congress on this subject. Liberia Negotiations for the amelioration of conditions found to exist in Liberia by the American Commission, undertaken through the Department of State, have been concluded, and it is only necessary for certain formalities to be arranged in securing the loan which, it is hoped, will place that republic on a practical financial and economic footing. Recognition of Portuguese Republic the National Constituent Assembly, regularly elected by the vote of the Portuguese people, having on June 19th last unanimously proclaimed a republican form of government, the official recognition of the government of the United States 
was given to the new republic in the afternoon of the same day. Spitsbergen Islands Negotiations for the betterment of conditions existing in the Spitsbergen Islands and the adjustment of conflicting claims of American citizens and Norwegian subjects to lands in that archipelago are still in progress. International Conventions and Conferences International Prize Court The Supplementary Protocol to the Hague Convention for the establishment of an international prize court, mentioned in my last annual message, embodying stipulations providing for an alternative procedure which would remove the constitutional objection to that part of the Hague Convention, which provides that there may be an appeal to the proposed court from the decisions of national courts, has received the signature of the government's parties to the original convention and has been ratified by the government of the United States together with the prize court convention. The deposit of the ratifications with the government of the Netherlands awaits action by the powers on the declaration, signed at London on February 26, 1909, of the rules of international law to be recognized within the meaning of Article 7 of the Hague Convention for the establishment of an international prize court. Fur Seal Treaty The Fur Seal controversy, which for nearly 25 years has been the source of serious friction between the United States and the powers bordering upon the North Pacific Ocean, whose subjects have been permitted to engage in pelagic sealing against the fur seal herds having their breeding grounds within the jurisdiction of the United States, has at last been satisfactorily adjusted by the conclusion of the North Pacific Sealing Convention entered into between the United States, Great Britain, Japan, and Russia on the 7th of July last. This convention is a conservation measure of very great importance, and, if it is carried out in the spirit of reciprocal concession and advantage upon which it is based, there is every reason to believe that not only will it result in preserving the fur seal herds of the North Pacific Ocean and restoring them to their former value for the purposes of commerce, but also that it will afford a permanently satisfactory settlement of a question the only other solution of which seemed to be the total destruction of the fur seals. In another aspect also, this convention is of importance in that it furnishes an illustration of the feasibility of securing a general international game law for the protection of other mammals of the sea, the preservation of which is of importance to all the nations of the world. Legislation Necessary The attention of Congress is especially called to the necessity for legislation on the part of the United States for the purpose of fulfilling the obligations assumed under this convention, to which the Senate gave its advice and consent on the 24th day of July, last. Protection of Industrial Property Union. 
the Conference of the International Union for the Protection of Industrial Property, which, under the authority of Congress, convened at Washington on May 16, 1911, closed its labors on June 2, 1911, by the signature of three acts as follows. 1. A convention revising the Paris Convention of March 20, 1883, for the protection of industrial property, as modified by the additional act signed at Brussels on December 14, 1900. 2. An arrangement to replace the arrangement signed at Madrid on April 14, 1891, for the international registration of trademarks, and the additional act with regard thereto, signed at Brussels on December 14, 1900, and three, an arrangement to replace the arrangement signed at Madrid on April 14, 1891, relating to the repression of false indication of production of merchandise. The United States is a signatory of the first convention only, and this will be promptly submitted to the Senate. International Opium Commission In a special message transmitted to the Congress on the 11th of January, 1911, in which I concurred in the recommendations made by the Secretary of State in regard to certain needful legislation for the control of our interstate and foreign traffic in opium and other menacing drugs, I quoted from my annual message of December 7, 1909, in which I announced that the results of the International Opium Commission held at Shanghai in February 1909 at the invitation of the United States had been laid before this government, that the report of that commission showed that China was making remarkable progress and admirable efforts toward the eradication of the opium evil, that the interested governments had not permitted their commercial interests to prevent their cooperation in this reform, and as a result of collateral investigations of the opium question in this country, I recommended that the manufacture, sale, and use of opium in the United States should be more rigorously controlled by legislation. Prior to that time, and in continuation of the policy of this government, to secure the cooperation of the interested nations, the United States proposed an international opium conference with full powers for the purpose of clothing with the force of international law, the resolutions adopted by the above-mentioned Commission, together with their essential corollaries. The other powers concerned cordially responded to the proposal of this government, and I am glad to be able to announce representatives of all the powers assembled in conference at The Hague on the first of this month. Since the passage of the Opium Exclusion Act, more than 20 states have been animated to modify their pharmacy laws and bring them in accord with the spirit of that act, thus stamping out to a measure the intrastate traffic in opium and other habit-forming drugs. But, 
although I have urged on the Congress the passage of certain measures for federal control of the interstate and foreign traffic in these drugs, no action has yet been taken. In view of the fact that there is now sitting at The Hague so important a conference, which has under review the municipal laws of the different nations for the mitigation of their opium and other allied evils, a conference which will certainly deal with the international aspects of these evils. It seems to me most essential that the Congress should take immediate action on the anti-narcotic legislation to which I have already called attention by a special message. Buenos Aires Conventions The four important conventions signed at the Fourth Pan-American Conference at Buenos Aires, providing for the regulation of trademarks, patents, and copyrights, and for the arbitration of pecuniary claims, have, with the advice and consent of the Senate, been ratified on the part of the United States, and the ratifications have been deposited with the government of the Argentine Republic, in accordance with the requirements of the conventions. I am not advised that similar action has been taken by any other of the signatory governments. International Arrangement to Suppress Obscene Publications One of the notable advances in international morality accomplished in recent years was an arrangement entered into on April 13th of the present year between the United States and other powers for the repression of the circulation of obscene publications. Foreign Trade Relations of the United States in my last annual message, I referred to the tariff negotiations of the Department of State with foreign countries in connection with the application, by a series of proclamations, of the minimum tariff of the United States to importations from the several countries. And I stated that, in its general operation, Section 2 of the new tariff law had provided a guarantee of continued commercial peace, although there were, unfortunately, instances where foreign governments dealt arbitrarily with American interests within their jurisdiction in a manner injurious and inequitable. During the past year, some instances of discriminatory treatment have been removed, but I regret to say that there remain a few cases of differential treatment adverse to the commerce of the United States. While none of these instances now appears to amount to undue discrimination in the sense of Section 2 of the Tariff Law of August 5, 1909, they are all exceptions to that complete degree of equality of tariff treatment that the Department of State has consistently sought to obtain for American commerce abroad. While the double tariff feature of the tariff law of 1909 has been amply justified by the results achieved in removing former and preventing new undue discriminations against American commerce, it is believed that the time has come for the amendment of this feature of the law 
in such way as to provide a graduated means of meeting varying degrees of discriminatory treatment of American commerce in foreign countries, as well as to protect the financial interests abroad of American citizens against arbitrary and injurious treatment on the part of foreign governments through either legislative or administrative measures. It would seem desirable that the maximum tariff of the United States should embrace within its purview the free list, which is not the case at the present time, in order that it might have reasonable significance to the governments of those countries from which the importations into the United States are confined virtually to articles on the free list. Record of Highest Amount of Foreign Trade The fiscal year ended June 30, 1911, shows great progress in the development of American trade. It was noteworthy as marking the highest record of exports of American products to foreign countries, the valuation being in excess of $2 billion. These exports showed a gain over the preceding year of more than $300 million. Facilities for foreign trade furnished by joint action of Department of State and of Commerce and Labor. There is widespread appreciation expressed by the business interests of the country as regards the practical value of the facilities now offered by the Department of State and the Department of Commerce and Labor for the furtherance of American commerce. Conferences with their officers at Washington, who have an expert knowledge of trade conditions in foreign countries, and with consular officers and commercial agents of the Department of Commerce and Labor, who, while on leave of absence, visit the principal industrial centers of the United States, have been found of great value. These trade conferences are regarded as a particularly promising method of governmental aid in foreign trade promotion. The Department of Commerce and Labor has arranged to give publicity to the expected arrival and the itinerary of consular officers and commercial agents while on leave in the United States, in order that trade organizations may arrange for conferences with them. As I have indicated, it is increasingly clear that to obtain and maintain that equity and substantial equality of treatment essential to the flourishing foreign trade, which becomes year by year more important to the industrial and commercial welfare of the United States, we should have a flexibility of tariff sufficient for the give and take of negotiation by the Department of State on behalf of our commerce and industry. Crying Need for American Merchant Marine I need hardly reiterate the conviction that there should speedily be built up an American Merchant Marine. This is necessary to assure favorable transportation facilities to our great ocean-borne commerce, as well as to supplement the Navy with an adequate reserve of ships and men. 
it would have the economic advantage of keeping at home part of the vast sums now paid foreign shipping for carrying American goods. All the great commercial nations pay heavy subsidies to their merchant marine, so that it is obvious that without some wise aid from the Congress, the United States must lag behind in the matter of merchant marine in its present anomalous position. Extension of American Banking to Foreign Countries Legislation to facilitate the extension of American banks to foreign countries is another matter in which our foreign trade needs assistance. Chambers of Foreign Commerce suggested. The interests of our foreign commerce are nonpartisan and, as a factor in prosperity, are as broad as the land. In the dissemination of useful information, and in the coordination of effort, certain unofficial associations have done good work toward the promotion of foreign commerce. It is cause for regret, however, that the great number of such associations and the comparative lack of cooperation between them fails to secure an efficiency commensurate with the public interest. Through the agency of the Department of Commerce and Labor, and in some cases directly, the Department of State transmits to reputable business interests information of commercial opportunities, supplementing the regular published consular reports. Some central organization, in touch with associations and chambers of commerce throughout the country, and able to keep purely American interests in closer touch with different phases of commercial affairs, would, I believe, be of great value. Such organization might be managed by a committee composed of a small number of those now actively carrying on the work of some of the larger associations, and there might be added to the committee, as members ex officio, one or two officials of the Department of State and one or two officials from the Department of Commerce and Labor and representatives of the appropriate committees of Congress. The authority and success of such an organization would evidently be enhanced if the Congress should see fit to prescribe its scope and organization through legislation which would give to it some such official standing as that, for example, of the National Red Cross. With these factors and the continuance of the Foreign Service Establishment, departmental, diplomatic, and consular, upon the high plane where it has been placed by the recent reorganization, this government would be abreast of the times in fostering the interests of its foreign trade, and the rest must be left to the energy and enterprise of our businessmen. Improvement of the Foreign Service The entire Foreign Service organization is being improved and developed with especial regard to the requirements of the commercial interests of the country. The rapid growth of our foreign trade makes it of the utmost importance 
that governmental agencies through which that trade is to be aided and protected should possess a high degree of efficiency. Not only should the foreign representatives be maintained upon a generous scale insofar as salaries and establishments are concerned, but the selection and advancement of officers should be definitely and permanently regulated by law so that the service shall not fail to attract men of high character and ability. The experience of the past few years with a partial application of civil service rules to the diplomatic and consular service leaves no doubt in my mind of the wisdom of a wider and more permanent extension of those principles to both branches of the Foreign Service. The men selected for appointment by means of the existing executive regulations have been of a far higher average of intelligence and ability than the men appointed before the regulations were promulgated. Moreover, the feeling that under the existing rules there is reasonable hope for permanence of tenure during good behavior and for promotion for meritorious service has served to bring about a zealous activity in the interests of the country which never before existed or could exist. It is my earnest conviction that the enactment into law of the general principles of the existing regulations cannot fail to affect further improvement in both branches of the Foreign Service by providing greater inducement for young men of character and ability to seek a career abroad in the service of the government and an incentive to those already in the service to put forth greater efforts to attain the high standards which the successful conduct of our international relations and commerce requires. I therefore again commend to the favorable action of the Congress the enactment of a law applying to the diplomatic and consular service the principles embodied in Section 1753 of the Revised Statutes of the United States in the Civil Service Act of January 16, 1883, and the Executive Orders of June 27, 1906, and of November 26, 1909. In its consideration of this important subject, I desire to recall to the attention of the Congress the very favorable report made on the Loudon Bill for the improvement of the Foreign Service by the Foreign Affairs Committee of the House of Representatives. Available statistics show the strictness with which the merit system has been applied to the Foreign Service during recent years and the absolute nonpartisan selection of consuls and diplomatic service secretaries, who indeed, far from being selected with any view to political consideration, have actually been chosen to a disproportionate extent from states which would have been unrepresented in the Foreign Service under the system, which it is to be hoped is now permanently obsolete. Some legislation for the perpetuation of the present system of examinations and promotions 
upon merit and efficiency would be of greatest value to our commercial and international interests. End of Part 2B and of Section 8